It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of murder. We are once again preparing a few new episodes on the Burger Chef murders case. Now, we, this is a very complicated case, so we thought it might be helpful if we started out with an episode where we give you a brief overview of it, explain exactly what we will be covering, and also discuss why this case continues to mean so much to the both of us. My name is Anya Kane. I'm a journalist. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. I'm an attorney. We first connected while looking into the Burger Chef murders, an Indiana cold case. Together, we built a spreadsheet documenting hundreds of cases of restaurant-related homicides. That original spreadsheet gave way to our podcast, The Murder Sheet. 
Now we maintain that same research-centric, investigative approach as we look into all sorts of homicides, including unsolved cases, historical crimes, and, of course, restaurant murders. We don't just chat about the headlines. Our podcast is a platform for our journalism. The Murder Sheet focuses on investigative reporting, thoughtful analysis, thorough research, and in-depth interviews. We're the Murder Sheet. And this is You Never Can Forget, The Overview. So let's start with some of the basic facts of the Burger Chef case. This crime occurred between November 17th, 1978 to November 18th, 1978. The reason it's two dates is because the abduction happened around midnight. Maybe a bit before midnight, maybe a little bit after midnight. We're not sure. We're not sure. The timing is not completely solid, but... Um, it, it seems likely that the ki- the kidnapping maybe occurred on the 17th and the homicides occurred on the 18th. Uh, but that's not to say that basically we're already getting complicated, but basically <laughs> um, it, it, it kind of occurred in an overnight thing. Basically, what happened was you had a crew of young employees closing up the Burger Chef restaurant on Crawfordsville Road in Speedway, Indiana. Uh, the, the four employees were named Jane Freet. She was the 20-year-old assistant manager who was in charge that night uh, of the closing. You had 17-year-old Ruth Shelton. She was a young employee. Um, And then 16-year-olds Danny Davis and Mark Flemons. Those were the four victims. They vanished from the restaurant and were discovered a few days later, having been murdered out in Johnson County, which was far to the south of Speedway. And as we say, this is one of those cases that maybe at first glance seems relatively simple, but it actually grows more and more complicated the more you look at it. And one of the reasons why this is is because there are very few fixed points. There are very few things about the case that we can say definitely we know to be true. Yeah, we can make assumptions, but it's really like trying to climb up a very smooth wall where there's no handholds or footholds. It, it, it's it's difficult. And let's discuss an example of that right off the bat, and that would be a man named Alan Pruitt, who is probably the most important witness in this case. Yes, this is a person who we know for a fact was there on the night of the abduction. He was placed at the scene by an independent witness. At the time, he was this young kid. He kind of had a history of trouble. He had red hair, kind of a short guy. He was sighted basically outside of the Dunkin' Donuts that sat next to the Burger Chef. 
And he kind of kept walking back and forth between the burger chef and the Dunkin' Donuts, according to this elderly man who was sitting in the Dunkin' Donuts, just drinking coffee and minding his own business at the time. So he, in other words, not only was he there, but he was in a position to see everything that happened to those four employees you named a moment ago, and also to see who exactly abducted them. And so for the, these reasons, he was one of the people I was most interested in speaking to once I really got interested in this case and began independently researching it. And I will be honest, nowadays you and I go and knock on doors fairly often. We, we approach people and it's no longer really a big deal. But this was, for me, the first time I'd done something like this. And I was a bit nervous because who knew what his story would be? Who knew what he would be like? And if you look at his Facebook profile picture, he seemed to be a very large and potentially even threatening man. So when I and another party went and knocked on his door for the first time, I was a bit nervous. He, though, was no longer the person in that picture. He appeared to be uh, thinner, uh, emaciated, and certainly, no matter what he may have been in the past, he no longer seemed to be somebody who would pose a threat. You met him numerous times yourself. What would you say about how he seemed in uh, modern times? He was certainly a bit of an eccentric. He uh, kind of collected rabbits. Um, he was an interesting storyteller. He would, you know, he was very uh, enthusiastic and would tell all sorts of colorful tales. Um, but, you know, he, he was a bit of an enigma at the same time. You know, he, you'd never know what story you were going to get from Pruitt. He changed his story numerous times. Some of the stories he told didn't really make sense. And it was always frustrating because you felt like maybe he knew more than he was saying. But uh, it wasn't like... <sighs> I didn't feel like it would be ever solid what he was going to tell us. It was like quicksand. It would just you'd sink through it right away. And the reason we're going to talk about him on this season of You Never Can Forget is because he actually passed away this year. So Alan Pruitt has died. And we'll be sort of reflecting over some of the notes that Kevin and I have taken over the years, some of the recordings that we've taken over the years, and try to contextualize where does Pruitt fit into all of this as a witness and as somebody who, frankly, both of us have more questions about. Yes, and he, one of the people he said he saw was a man named Tim Willoughby. And I think it's important to note that Tim Willoughby's family insists to this day that Tim Willoughby was actually dead long before the Burger Chef murders even happened. Yeah, he's been missing since June of 1978. So if if the timeline that they say is correct, you know, that he disappeared then, then he could have been dead for months by the time November of 1978 rolled around. Uh, and so they, they might have a point. And so and it's also worth noting Pruitt's story, even during the times we talked to him, it kept changing. Uh his death recently made us go back, as you've said, and listen to a bunch of our old recordings with him. And I have to say, we spent, uh, I in particular spent a lot of time 
uh, with this man. Uh, I'm going to admit I have uh, a, an, an allergic reaction to the smell of cigarette smoke. It often gives me migraines. Pruitt lived in this small home filled with relics and souvenirs of his past. He was always smoking. The home always reeked strongly of cigarette smoke. So anytime I went to visit him, I would have a migraine headache for days afterwards. But yet I would continue to go visit him because I kept on thinking he has something. He has something. And listening to these tapes again, you know, I don't know. He changed his story a lot. Yeah, he changed his story. And the people he named as being involved in the case, as you mentioned, Tim Willoughby at that point was already missing. And Jeff Reed, who was a sort of popular local musician. That was the other person he named. Yeah. Popular local musician known as the King of the Snake Pit for his antics at the Indy 500. But, um, you know, that's another enigma. He's also since died. So the people that Pruitt named, you know, one of them in the beginning couldn't defend themselves necessarily because they were missing. And then now both of, you know, are since presumed dead by some. Uh, Reed died of cancer more recently. But it's just one of those things where it's hard to verify anything Pruitt says. And then, of course, then he'll come back around and say, well, maybe I didn't see anything. (laughs) He was always changing his story. Yeah. And, so, it, and it's sort of like, are you dealing with somebody who's maybe struggled with some mental health and substance abuse issues over time? Memory could be a very tricky thing in that setting. Or are you dealing with somebody who's telling you a story for a reason? Yes. So we are going to do an episode focusing on Pruitt. And in that episode, we are going to include audio you've never heard before including him discussing another person he believes he may actually have seen at the restaurant that night. And that person is not someone he has publicly named before. I know uh, when we appeared in the Investigation Discovery documentary earlier this year, some people were kind of confused about why is so much weight being put on Pruitt's story because he's unreliable. And I think you should not be putting weight on his story because he's reliable or because he's a credible witness. You should be putting weight on his story because he was physically there that night and his behavior since then has been somewhat confusing and stories he tells are somewhat confusing. And sometimes when you start to unravel that, you can find something. Now, I think, I yeah, so we'll be getting into that. And we will definitely include the perspective of the Willoughby family as we said, they remain convinced this man is an, was an out-and-out liar. And let's be honest, our own opinions of uh, Alan Pruitt have been all over the map. Yeah, he, he had some positive qualities. He was very funny, like just kind of a quirky, weird guy. Like in his storytelling, uh, he loved animals. He had a really soft heart when it came to animals, rats, rabbits, dogs, anything. He really, I think he preferred animals to people. And so things like that can endear him to you. But he also, he had, he had a dark side. Uh, Sometimes I thought that this is a guy who deserves a lot of credit because he came forward with potentially crucial information about what he saw at the restaurant that night. And other times I've been way on the other side. And I've considered seriously the possibility that Pruitt may have been directly involved with the murders himself 
and tried to evade responsibility by pinning the blame on a dead man. Yeah, that that pretty much sums it up. (laughs) Those are two very different opinions, but as you'll find with the Burger Chef case... It's kind of like a fun house, you know, you're you're like the mirrors are showing you different things and, and you're just twisting and turning, trying to figure out what the heck is going on and get your bearings. And it's often very difficult to do that. It's extremely difficult. Hope maybe with our episode on Pruitt, we can get a little bit closer to the truth. Yeah. <sighs> uh, before we leave the topic of Pruitt, I'll never forget the first time I brought you over there to meet him. Yes. Because uh, Pruitt was a person, he his hair was often greasy. He had, like, really long red hair and a really long kind of orange beard. His hair was often greasy and unkempt. He'd be wearing old, dirty clothes. Uh, when I told him that I was bringing a young female reporter over to meet him, <laughs> how was he attired? He was. He dressed up. He dressed up and he kind of poofed his hair, you know? So he cleaned up for me. I was very flattered. And he uh, pointedly attempted to avoid swearing while I was there, which I took it from you that was not common for him. So he was certainly trying to be a gentleman. So at one point he did tell an off color joke. And I remember he was so rattled that he had done this in front of you that he turned bright red and seemed horrified. I'm very ladylike. So, you know. Yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> no, I mean, I it's Pruitt's a really Pruitt is sort of the the person who, in some ways, most embodies the Burger Chef case for me because you try to understand him and you think you're getting close, and then he says something and it kind of twists everything for for ill or for good, you know. And and like you you can from one lens, he's a guy who tried to do his best to do a, the right thing, come forward, and has has dealt with a lot of pain in his life that we can talk about in that episode dealt with a lot of heartache and you know maybe maybe some some mental health issues some substance abuse abuse issues that made it hard for him and unfortunately had a lot of struggles and from that sense it's it's very sad and you wonder maybe if the proximity to this case may have you know prompted him to lean into some of that substance abuse or or kind of deal with it in that way so he's a, in that way maybe Cer- a victim, right? Certainly, we went to the memorial service for Pruitt, yeah. and some of the family members there talked about how he seemed very different after the murders. Yeah, except something changed inside of something him. Something had scared him, and you know he that kind of matches with some of the kind of more bubbly characteristics that we saw and liked about him. And then from the other side, all of the dishonesty, all of the lying, uh, all of the twisting and turning when it came to this case. It makes you wonder, you know, why would someone be constantly changing their story? Is it a coincidence that he named a man who had been missing at that point? Uh, You know, is it a coincidence that he happened to also know Jane Freed personally because they went to the same high school? You know, why why was he always seemingly casting blame elsewhere? And why could he not? Why? I mean, just the I mean, in one of his versions, he'd never really gone to Speedway before. So the night he goes there, some. Something like this happens. So, so we're going to have a lot to talk about in that yeah, episode. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to discuss. A lot to unpack. I don't think either one of us have a fixed opinion, though. I think we're just kind of trying to take everything in. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle. 
but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Row Body Program. Here's how it works. Row gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Row Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's ro.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, sometimes in this case, this Burger Chef case, there is so much unknown and speculative that it seems to make sense for us to focus on the few people we know to have actually been in the vicinity of the restaurant at the time of the abductions. One of these people, of course, was Alan Pruitt. Another is a man we would call Terry. Can you tell us about Terry? So Terry was a young man at the time he was driving somewhat erratically, uh, very close to the restaurant, sort of down the street. So at 21st and Cunningham, which is, you know, nearby, difficult to tell if it was directly in the vision line of from the restaurant, but certainly close by. A Speedway police officer pulls Terry over, and Terry has a 38 caliber gun in his car, and he knows he's not supposed to have it, so he throws it out the window into a yard. The policeman misses that and basically kind of, you know, cites him. And, you know, he actually didn't he didn't get a ticket, but he just basically is like... Got know. a warning and yeah. sends Terry on his way. And so then Terry and his friend come back to the property where he threw the gun. They're seen looking around for it. 
uh, the homeowner notices them and then finds the gun after they leave, turns it into police. The gun, which is a 38 caliber, Ruth and Danny, two of the Burger Chef victims, were killed with a 38 caliber. But this is not a murder weapon. This is not the murder weapon that was used in the Burger Chef case. But police are certainly like, what are the odds that a guy was driving around with a 38? And was like a block or two away from this abduction. So for years, we've really tried to find the guy. We really, really tried to find this guy. And we went to some pretty extreme measures. Why don't you explain what that what you're referencing? Uh, this, this man, Carrie, has a presence on Facebook. And his... Uh, his, his cover photo on Facebook was the wall of what appeared to be the employee section of a restaurant, an unnamed restaurant. And it had numerous uh, signs and decorations on it. And Terry's Facebook indicated that he lived in the vicinity of Houston. And so you and I theorized that he must be he has access to the employment area of this restaurant, he must actually work at that restaurant. So if we want to find this guy, we need to figure out which what restaurant this is. And so we... <laughs> why don't you talk about the process? We were looking up all the little slogans we saw on the wall. We were looking up all the little, you know, like cross-referencing it with Houston area restaurants. I mean, it was it was awful. But it was also like really exciting because then we finally came upon something and we realized that that was it. We got it based on a menu illustration, essentially. So, so it was the, very intensive research from you and I. Yes. And then, so the question became, what do we do? We had tried to reach out to him on Facebook. He never replied. And so we convinced ourselves that the only thing we could do with this information was Let's hop on a plane and fly down to Houston and go to this restaurant. Yeah, so we did. And immediately, it was one of those things, sometimes you're doing something and it slowly dawns on you that you did the wrong thing or you were incorrect in your assumption. This was one of those instances where it just hits you full in the face the second you walk into the room. Because the second we walked into the restaurant, there in front of us was the the wall or whatnot that we'd seen in this man's cover photo. So we realized immediately like that is visible to everybody and anybody who walks in briefly. So we had totally, I mean, it was, that was embarrassing when we asked for him by name, you know, to the restaurant staff, they'd never heard of him. So no one knew who he was there. So we flew down to Texas for nothing. (laughs) And we had a a very poor meal there. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think you were a big fan. Um, yeah, so then kind of randomly. A couple of years later, we we won't say how, but we were able to get his phone number. So we talked to him. And we had that interview on the show last year. And in that interview, he actually made a pretty good impression on our audience. He told uh, a story of why he was there, and he talked about being, uh, from his point of view, he was hounded and harassed by the police just by the mere fact that he happened to be in the vicinity, and he talked about how that affected his life. And as I say, that made a pretty good impression on our audience. Now, the, the thing is, that was not the last time we had contact with him. No. And so we're going to do an episode about some of our other contact we've had since then with him. Absolutely. 
Now, the next thing we're going to talk about actually is an angle that we haven't really delved into before too much. So this is pretty new. And this was in part due to the help from uh, fellow Burger Chef researcher Chris Davis. Chris Davis used to be the host of the 3C podcast. We had a conversation with him on the show uh, earlier this year. If you want to, if you want to check it out, his podcast. He stopped doing the podcast and he removed the episodes from uh, podcast uh, feeds, and so his podcast is no longer accessible. But he did talk to us about some of his theories, and one of them centers around a crime family that operated in the Indianapolis area in the 70s that was known as the Crabtree family. And in fairness, it wasn't, this wasn't just something Chris pulled out of the air. No. Uh, The Johnson County Sheriff's Department seemed to think that this was the most productive lead on the case and that could potentially explain what happened. And in fact, uh, one uh, person connected with Johnson County even told the press that he believed a man named Stephen Presley, who was associated with this family, probably had crucial information about the Burger Chef case. So what happened to Stephen Presley? Stephen Presley was removed from a a location in Indianapolis, taken in a van down to a location in Johnson County where he was shot by multiple weapons and killed. And that kind of mode of operation sounds pretty similar to what happened to the victims in the Burger Chef case, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It certainly does. And we're very happy and grateful to Chris for sharing some of his thoughts with us and sharing some of his ideas. And we're excited to say that we'll be well, able until to... now, yeah. until now, let's say basically what I've just said is pretty much all that's been known. Yes. About the circumstances of the death of Stephen Presley. But we have more information now. That's about to change. Yeah. What information have we come across? We got a case file. We got a case file over 100 pages of investigative material compiled by the investigators at the time about the murder of this man. So this could be big. And for people who are interested in the Crabtree angle, hopefully this will provide some everyone with some more data to work off of now. Um, yeah. And so we're going to explore those files with you going forward and, and fig- try to figure this out. I, we would also like to say that for anybody who knew Steve Presley or knew anybody associated with the Crabtree family, we would really like to hear from you. That would be very helpful. We have a history of if you don't want to be on the show, we're not going to press you. We'll keep it off the record. But it is helpful for us to hear from people who knew some of the people that we're talking about because you can clarify things. You can um, help us separate rumor from fact. The Crabtrees were also connected to other murders and mysterious deaths in Indiana. And we have tried to reach out to people affected by those. And a lot of people are still scared to talk about Crabtrees, even off the record. And so we understand that. And I just want to emphasize what Anya said. We will protect our sources. We do not reveal our sources to anybody. We will protect you. And you can email us at murdersheet at gmail.com if you'd like to talk about it. And again, you can trust that we are not going to record you without your permission. We are not going to use anything you say without your permission. And that's how we operate. 
we we take source trust and confidentiality very very seriously we're very careful about that because sometimes even if you say if you offer a particular detail and we put that on the show somebody might be able to say well there's only two or three people who might have known that detail. yes so we err on the side of caution and as journalists our reputation depends on our ability to keep our sources protected so you know we have an incentive to keep people safe and keep people people's information secure uh before we wrap up this episode uh this is a case we have spent more time on than any others and we keep coming back to it so Anya, why is this case so important to you i don't know i i find myself sometimes thinking about the four kids in it and i start tearing up and it they, they feel they feel very i never knew them obviously you never knew them but I feel by talking to so many people who did and by delving so much into the circumstances around their death, they are very real to me and they're very important to me. And I want to see, I want to do right by them and I want to seek answers and try to get as close to the truth as we can for them. Uh, I, I echo that and I would like to add that in the time we have spent on this case we have met and in some place and in some cases grown close to people who were very directly affected by this and i know this is something that happened 40 years ago but when you lose someone so important to you as a child or a sister or a loved one that loss feels always very fresh in some ways it always feels like something that just happened yesterday and i also know that there were the police officers who originally investigated it remain haunted by it and i know some of them who literally spend time thinking about this case every single day of their lives and they will continue to think about it every day of their lives until they leave this earth. It's haunting. It's a haunting case. It's so wrong what happened, and the fact that nobody was ever held accountable is just weighs on you. And when you form connections, as we have, with all of these people who are so connected to this awful tragedy... And you know how much it would mean to them to get answers. If there is even the slightest possibility that something we do by drawing more attention to the case, if any of that could help in even a little bit in getting these decent people the answers they've been waiting for for so long, it's, it's worth the effort on our parts. And frankly, frankly, I mean, just being completely uh, blunt here, this is not a case that I feel is being properly investigated at the moment. I don't feel like a lot of legwork is being done. I don't think this case will be solved by DNA. At all. I mean, unless there's some really huge developments and some evidence that we're not aware of. I, I don't think... I mean, I, I could be wrong. We have we have not seen the case file in the Burger Chef case. Yes. But my, but my, my feeling is that, um, you know, there is no... Uh, Calvary waiting in the wings to come in and save the day when it comes to evidence. Uh, this will be solved 
by reviewing old tips and looking at people's stories and seeing, is that what they're still saying? Does that still make sense? What do we know about them now that we did not know about in 1978? We always say what we honestly believe and let the chips fall where they may. If you followed our episodes on the Delphi case, we often compliment the performance of the investigators on that case and how dedicated they are and the good work being done by the Indiana State Police on that case. Uh, the work that the Indiana State Police is doing on the Burgershev case is disgraceful. It is uh, inexcusable and it makes me very angry that that situation has been allowed to continue. And I'm sure in one of the episodes we do this year, we will be uh, discussing the very strong possibility that you and I will be taking some legal action against the Indiana State Police in regards to that. Yep. So it should be an interesting series of episodes. And in addition to the Burger Chef episodes, uh, if there's any developments in Delphi that are worth covering, we will, of course, continue to cover those and bring you that information. Absolutely. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and thank you for being willing to pay attention to the Burger Chef case, even though it happened 40-some years ago. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening to The Murder Sheet. If you have a tip concerning one of the cases we cover, please email us at murdersheet at gmail.com. If you have actionable information about an unsolved crime, please report it to the appropriate authorities. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, that's available at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. If you want to tip us a bit of money for records requests, you can do so at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. We very much appreciate any support. Special thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for the murder sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. If you're looking to talk with other listeners about a case we've covered, you can join the Murder Sheet Discussion Group on Facebook. We mostly focus our time on research and reporting, so we're not on social media much. We do try to check our email account, but we ask for patience as we often receive a lot of messages. Thanks again for listening.